Hello and good morning. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. What a blessed writer you are. I am so inspired by the way that you build your stories. You, you, you give me just enough to keep so glued to it that it's like I'm supposed to be in bed by midnight, but no, you're keeping me up until one. <laughs> well, thank you. That is high praise. Well, Ruins your sleep. That's oh, what I want to put on the cover. No, man. It, it, it gets into my dreams, which then, I mean, it, it's, it's almost like your paragraphs become my moving pictures, which is just very inspiring about the way you write. Well, thank you. Thank you. I, you know, like, I, I consider myself a cinematic writer, oh, right? I write what I it. see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then I try to level in the atmosphere as well. I want to take you somewhere. Right. I don't just want you to think. I want you to experience that. That's my goal, at least. Well, you can feel that in Sapphire Storm in the way that it's it's almost like you would you would give us a thought to hold on to as the reader. And then it's, it's almost like we you give us room to breathe. And I always see the author doing that in their chair while they're putting the story together. They sit back for a moment and then read the paragraph and then come back and say, let's get back to work. Right. I think that's exactly it. And I think it's about, it's almost musical, right? You want to syncopate your big realizations, your big emotional moments, but you also want to have something in between that allows the reader to digest what they're experiencing. That's it. That's it. Yeah. It's, it's like what comedians say. You've got to have the pause. You've got to be able so that you, we can be drawn yeah. back into that. Right, and if you don't allow them to pause, it's about fear, yeah. right? If, if you overdo it, it's, it's if I let because the pause, and maybe nobody laughs, right? If you're a comedian, <laughs> so you you gotta let it, you gotta take that risk. Ethan Blake, this this is a character that readers are going to be. I I, I swear they're going going to hold on to Ethan for a long time because you put Ethan in areas that really you know it's about satisfying people's appetites. But the thing is, is that there, there's something about Ethan that makes you say, "I either know Ethan or I am Ethan." Mm-hmm. I, you know, I appreciate you saying that because as we discover in the book, Ethan has a pretty rarefied past mm-hmm. and a history which, which comes to the surface, which is that he was a sex worker for many years and, and doesn't have any shame about it. You know, it felt like he handled himself professionally and well and treated people with respect and figured out how to create an environment where he was treated with respect, which, could, which can be a challenge. So I, I wanted to ground him. I wanted him to feel relatable, yep. to use a very popular term out here in Hollywood. And I wanted him to be a step apart from the usual depictions of sex work that we see in films and movies and television. I think those depictions are evolving and becoming more inclusive and sophisticated. But this is someone who has gone on to have a career of his dreams as a pastry chef. And so there, there's, he's also older than a lot of the characters that I've written about in my romance novels, as C. Travis Rice. He's, he's a grown man, for lack of a better term, whereas the tendency in, in romantic fiction is to write about younger people who are experiencing love for the first time. And that's not where Ethan is. Ethan's had his heart broken, and he's been disappointed, yep, and he's yep. he's overcome things. And See? it's really rich and interesting to write about a character like that. See, that's what I mean. We we've we've all been this person, or we know somebody who has gone through those emotional uh, stories and storms. Right, absolutely. And then you also you also give people the opportunity to believe in second chance. Okay, we've got this past, but we're living in the present, and this is what I want to do right now. I'm not going to live in my past. I'm going to do this right now, like Ethan is doing with you know being the pastry chef. 
Right. And I think, and as we see with some of the other characters who come in, your response to your past is a function of what you tell yourself about your past. Mm -hmm. The narrative that you've adopted about your past is actually far more powerful than, than your past. I think bad things happen, and I don't believe in ignoring reality, and I don't believe you just close your eyes and manifest whatever <laughs> you want. I think there's a, there's a physical universe. But at the same time, my interpretation of past events can be very potent, and it can shape my attitudes today. Speaking of those universes, I'm, I'm also a writer, and, and I'm always afraid of that I'm going to get lost in the writer's metaverse. In other words, when I go into a story, they, so often I become a part of that story, and reality isn't checking in with my heart. Well, I think that that can also be a way for us to stay sane. Yeah. I think too much reality can drive you crazy. So true. <laughs> that, so I'm, I'm all about that. I'm all about several hours a day in a completely alternate universe because yeah. there are some things about this reality that stink. Yeah, yeah. To be in a world of suspense, intrigue, drama. My, my doctor always tells me that I have to take my blood pressure while I'm writing because I get so involved. What about you? Do you, do you feel your, your blood pressure boiling or going up? Oh, yeah. I, I, it's when I'm pacing my apartment doing the dialogue from the book because I can't, because I can't get it on the page fast enough. Yep. I have to get up from the chair and start almost acting out the scene. I'm, I'm constantly living in, in a, a, a dream world isn't necessarily the right word for it, but there's a, a constant invented storyline happening in my head almost at all times, and the writing process is about giving into it instead of fighting it. Most of the day I have to fight it, but when I'm writing, I don't have to fight it. It's almost like a respite. One of the reasons why I love talking with authors is because this is almost like the director's cut. We, we get to sit here and listen to how you build a story. Will you ever jump into anything like that, into a podcast where you go in and you can talk about the book to where all of a sudden we see a scene like when Roman enters? I, I just I had a soundtrack get into my heart when when Roman all of a sudden I'm, and, and I right away I went, oh, here's the conflict. Oh, bring it on. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I, I you know, I. I, to inspire myself to write, mostly what I listen to are orchestral film scores. Really? I very rare. I can't listen to anything with lyrics when right. I'm writing, and right. this is true of when I'm plotting as well. Um, and so I'm always setting the scene in my head with music. I'm always, like I said, I'm a very cinematic writer, and I um, want you to be having those experiences. I write stuff that tries to go for your gut, even when it's happily ever after romance. I'm still trying, <laughs> like you said, the drama and the intrigue. Like a lot of reality is actually really, really boring, <laughs> and so art gives us the opportunity to make it more exciting than it is but w sometimes we're doing that in an authentic way because we're bringing what's under the surface to the surface we're just bringing it there faster and 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 harder than it normally arrives can i give you a big compliment oh absolutely i spent time with jackie collins the way you speak is oh my god i feel like i'm talking with her again Oh, well, you know, I, I love Jackie so much. Um, Jackie, my best friend and producing partner, Eric Shaw Quinn, who's also a wonderful novelist, we have a podcast uh, called the, at thedinnerpartyshow.com, and Jackie was our guest Are twice, and yep, she came on. Yep. It was just amazing. It was towards the end of her life, and we had no idea she was sick, as most people who knew her had no idea yep. that she was sick, and she came on our show. She did a book tour in London, and then she came back, and came on our show again. One of the most moving things anyone's ever done for us. Just a total class act. I just adored her. Just adored her. Wow. To bring that drama to that page, 
Now, are we talking two years, three years? Because, I mean, it's, I mean, you have to be able to have, there's like a poetic edge to it without sounding too poetic. Well, you know, I, there's, I'm really inspired by um, romance novelists that sort of invented the genre, like Nora Roberts and yep. Judith McNaught, and these, these big sort of titans of, of early romance who were about delivering what they would call in Hollywood a four-quadrant story, right? It had a little bit of everything. It had action, it had suspense, it had sensuality, it had the relationship, it had the romance, all of it. It was, it was supposed to deliver this sort of gratifying experience on multiple levels. And the prose style dictated by that, I think, is very sort of, um, I don't want to say crystal clear, but it's very concrete. Yeah. Yeah. And the dialogue is supposed to leap off the page. Nora Roberts is a master of dialogue. Mm-hmm. She really is. She gets, she gets all this credit for, for being the reigning queen of romance, but she's really a more diverse writer, I think, than anyone gives her credit for. And you can just hear her dialogue crackling in, in your ear as you read it on the page. And so that was definitely something I wanted to capture. And, and this book, I think, came out of me faster than the others. Wow. This, this was really the plot arrived first with this one. And then everything else fell into place. Typically with romance novels, the characters arrive first. And the question is, okay, how much plot do you need to get them together? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is their passion going to be enough? You know, their passion and their, the intricacies of their personality. Where can people find your podcast? Because they need to continue growing with you as that creative mind, as well as the, the author of these books. That when we, we stop, we have to catch our breath when we walk into that bookstore. Oh, well, well, that's uh, you. You, I, I will. Uh, your compliments are the best. <laughs> I will. They can catch the podcast at thedinnerpartyshow.com or anywhere that podcasts are available. The latest podcast that Eric Shaw Quinn and I do is called TDPS. That's the Dinner Party Show presents Christopher and Eric, and we have a new episode every Sunday. We're very um, opinion and true crime focused. Oh, we played God. a role in helping to solve a cold case out here in L.A. The Billy Newton murder, which we're very very moved and proud that we were able to play any kind of role in bringing justice to that case after 30 years. But uh, Eric is also a mystery writer, and I'm a writer, and we talk about our process, and we talk about our books, and we talk a lot about true crime specials on TV. Oh, that is just the place. Please come back to this show anytime in the future. The door is always going to be open for you. My pleasure. Absolutely. Don't have to ask me twice. <laughs> you be brilliant today, okay? I will. Thank you, sir.